Hello everyone and welcome back to the History of Middle-Earth podcast, where we dive deep into the history of Middle-Earth. My name is Phil and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle-Earth. And I just want to thank you all for hanging in there as I've been out sick, basically super sick, um, including several runs to different doctors with urgent care and emergency room visits. Um, It lasted about three weeks in total. And then there's some recovery period and time in there, especially with some of the meds I was on that just completely wiped me out. But I am good to go now, back, able to do some episodes. So sorry for that huge, very unexpected delay, but here we are with a new episode and an actual, probably one of our longer and bigger episodes. So hopefully this will make it up to you a little bit, and I'm going to try to get another episode to out right after this one. Today's episode is brought to you by Jeffrey Wade. To start us off today, we're going to be going over the upcoming week in Middle-Earth history. Today, November 29th, is the unfortunate passing of Edith Tolkien in 1971. The next day, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, for those in the U.S., in 3018, the Four Hobbits take their rest in Rivendell, And in 3019, the Shire is reborn, and in 3020, the Shire fully recovers after the scouring of the Shire by Saruman. December 16th in 2941 is when the dwarves were wandering around in Mirkwood. December 17th in 2003 is when the return of the king premiered in theaters. December 18th in 2002 is when The Two Towers premiered, and December 19th in 2001 is when The Fellowship of the Ring premiered. And coming up Christmas Day, December 25th, is when The Company of the Ring leaves Rivendell at dusk. Now on to our main topic for today. We are going to be going going over the realms of Gondor and Arnor. Gondor was the prominent kingdom of men in Middle-earth, bordered by Rohan to the north, Herod to the south, and the Cape of Andrast and the sea to the west, and Mordor to the east. The first capital was Osgiliath, moved to Minas Tirith in TA 1640. The city of Minas Tirith remained the capital of Gondor for the rest of the Third Age and into years of the Fourth Age. Other major fortresses included Dol Amroth, Belfalas, and Osgiliath, which was the city on the Anduin. Before the downfall of Numenor, Gondor was home to many Numenorean colonists who either mixed blood with the indigenous middlemen, middlemen if they were friendly, or dispersed them into Ras Morthal, Dunland, and the Druidon Forest. Gondor, at a latitude comparable to Venice, was a more fertile region than Arnor to the far north, and therefore it already had a larger population before the ships of Elendil's son arrived, including a well-established city, Pelargir. 
When the faithful Dunedain fled Numenor after its sinking, their great ships landed in ports, ports such as Pelargir, which had been around since the early Second Age. This was a starting point as they sailed up the Anduin, eventually founding the kingdom of Gondor and the land surrounding the White Mountains. Gondor was founded by the brothers Isildur and Anarion, exiles from Numenor. Gondor was an allied kingdom with Arnor, whose line of king chieftains came from Isildur, while the line of kings of Gondor was from Anarion. The faithful, or Elendili, from Numenor were given a warm reception upon their arrival by those that had already colonized Middle-earth, including a colonial branch of Numenorean royalty at Doran Ernil. The colonists north of Anduin accepted Elendil's claim to kingship over them. South of the Great River, however, the newly exiled Numenorians did not recognize Elendil's claim. Gondor was being founded after Numenorians' population had already split between the faithful and king's men, and all of the more southern colonies, such as Umbar, remained enemies of the faithful. The newly founded kingdom of Gondor was then part of the last alliance of elves and men, which overthrew Sauron for the first time at the very end of the Second Age, and when Isildur cut the ring from Sauron. After the war, Gondor's power and wealth grew steadily, only interrupted by an Easterling invasion in TA-492. This power would continue to grow into the 9th century Third Age, while the power of Gondor's sister kingdom, Arndor, peaked during the 9th century when it broke into various successor states. Gondor's greatest glory was yet to come. Gondor's great cities, Minas Arnor, Minas, Minas Ethel, Osgiliath, and Pelargir only grew and the Dunedain of Gondor started to rule over more and more of the lesser people. Gondor's power reached its golden age under four ship kings. Taranon Falaster, TA-830 to TA-913, first of the ship kings, and died childless. Ernil, TA-913 to TA-936, who was the nephew of Taranon. Kiriandil, TA-936 to TA-1015. And Hermandasil I, TA-1015 to TA-1149 last of the ship kings. In the reign of the powerful king, Hiramendasil, Gondor reached the height of its power. The kingdom extended east into the Sea of Rune, south to the nearest lands of Haradrim, and as far north as Mirkwood, and west towards the borders of Arnor. Such was Gondor's wealth during the period that men from other lands would say in envy, in Gondor, precious stones are but pebbles for the children to play with. Gondor would also enjoy several centuries of peace due to its military might. Gondor was at the height of its power in early years due to the ships and the military might that its armies possessed. It was, it was important for the Sea Kings to have access to the sea so they could build quickly and acquire more resources, the most famous one of these being Osgiliath the capital city of Gondor in its early days. West of Osgiliath was Minas Anor, with, a massive, with massive battlements built from the mountain it was adjoined to. To the east was Minas Ethel, built in the shadow of Mordor's mountains. 
When Gondor was founded in Second Age 3320, it was believed that Sauron had perished beneath the waves, so no one had any reservations about having settlements so close to Mordor at the time. Unfortunately, this ended up being a drastic mistake for the Dunedain when Sauron launched a surprise attack upon them. Minas Ethel ended up falling to Sauron and his orc army, which he then turned into the lair of the Nazgul. The orc army advances were stopped once they reached Osgiliath, and they were pushed back to Minas Ethel. Sadly, it was from within that Gondor began to fall. In the 15th century of the Third Age, a great civil war named the Kinstrife tore the nation apart. The current king, Eldakar, was of mixed blood, with his mother being of the Northmen. Popular displeasure at this led to the overthrow of King Eldakar by Castamir, the admiral of all of Gondor's naval forces who possessed some royal blood. Eldakar's son was slain, and he fled north. Castamir was afterwards known as Castamir the Usurper. During his ten-year rule, he proved to be very cruel, and because of his old fleet, he lavished attention on the coastal regions while the interior provinces were ignored and left to rot. Eldakarwin then returned with an army of his Northmen kinsmen, and the armies of the men of Gondor joined them from the interior provinces such as Anorian. Osgiliath was devastated during this conflict, its great bridge destroyed and its palantir lost. Eldakar slew Castamir and reclaimed his throne, but Castamir's sons and their forces were besieged in Pelargir, the great port of Gondor. Growing friction between the two factions eventually erupted into mass bloodshed, with many of the invincible Gondorian navy taking the side of the usurper, eventually fleeing Pelargir to found an independent lordship in Umbar, who would ever after be a menace to Gondor and would eventually become the dreaded Corsairs of Umbar. Because of the loss of people and reputation of Gondor thanks to the Civil War, the once subdued nation, nations of Easterlings in Haradrim started attacking Gondor through the southern and eastern borders, while the Corsairs harassed from the coastline. 200 years later, a Great Plague swept across Gondor out of the east. Later, the Great Plague struck and the White Tree died. This plague was no localized event. The plague swept through all of Middle-earth, reaching the successor states of Arnor and the hobbits of the Shire in the north. King Turandor found a sapling of the white tree and moved the capital from Osgiliath to Minas Anor, the city of Anarion. During this time, Gondor was so depopulated that the fortifications guarding against the re-entry of evil into Mordor were abandoned. It is believed that the had the Haradrim or Easterlings been capable of attacking Gondor at this time, it would have fallen. However, the plague left Gondor's enemies in no better condition than Gondor itself, and either side was capable of mounting new offenses. Osgiliath was left in decay, and Gondor declined, with much of its reduced population concentrated in Minas Anor, which was later renamed to Minas Tirith, the city of the guard where they watched the enemy steadily encroach on the once great kingdom. Following the sapping of Gondor's strength by the plague, it did recover, but then the Wainrider, Easterlings, 
invaded and devastated Gondor, and the conflict lasted for almost a century. The Wayne Riders destroyed the northern army of Gondor, but survivors linked up with the victorious southern army of Gondor, which destroyed their Haradrim as they crossed the river Poros, led by a general named Ernil. And they destroyed the Wayne Riders as they celebrated their victory during the Battle of the Camp. Several centuries later, Sauron had prepared for the final conquest, and in TA 3018, his forces overran Athelion. The attack was stopped at Osgiliath with the destruction of the bridge across the Anduin. The following year, Minas Tirith faced a larger attack from Mordor with additional threat from the Corsairs of Umbar. Aragorn summoned the dead men of Dunharrow to destroy the forces from Umbar, freeing forces in the south of Gondor to come to the aid of Minas Tirith. Gondor then defeated the army of the Mordor with the aid of the Rohirrim in the Battle of Helenor Fields, although with heavy losses. The combined army of the West then carried the fight to Sauron at the Battle of the Morannon, a way to distract Sauron's attention from Frodo Baggins' quest to destroy the One Ring in Mount Doom, thus causing Sauron's destruction and the Allies' ultimate victory. After the second and final defeat of Sauron, the kingship was restored, with Aragorn crowned as King Elisar of the reunited kingdom of Arnor and Gondor. Faramir, last heir of the ruling stewards, retained his office as steward to the king and ruled over Gondor's eastern region of Athelion, a fair land between the river Anduin and the Ethelduath. The oaths between Gondor and Rohan were renewed and several joint campaigns were fought in the east and south against the remaining Easterlings and Haradrim. All former territories of the South Kingdom were won back during the following centuries, and its power and wealth were restored. Several Tolkien's writings state that, quote, Eldarion, son of Elisar, it was foretold that he should rule a great realm, and that it should endure for a hundred for a hundred generations of men after him, that it was until a new age brought in new things, and from him should come the kings of many realms in long days after." End quote. There was a Song of Gondor, which I'm not going to sing for you, but will read for you. You're welcome. And goes as such. Gondor. Gondor between the mountains and the sea. West wind blew there, the light upon the silver tree fell like bright rain in gardens of the kings of old. O proud walls, white towers, O winged crown and throne of gold. O Gondor, Gondor, men shall behold the silver tree, or west wind blow again between the mountains and the sea. This was sung by Aragorn on his trip with Legolas and Gimli to find Merry and Pippin. Gondor was divided between several nearly autonomous regions, which were Athelion, a region along the east bank of the Anduin River under the shadow of the Ethelduath, meaning Mountains of Shadow. Athelion was abandoned and mostly under the control of Mordor during the War of the Ring, though Gondor did have secret bases throughout the region, such as Henneth the Noon, and the rangers of Athelion used guerrilla warfare tactics to harass the enemy throughout Athelion and disrupt supply lines and companies marching to and from Mordor. After the War of the Ring, 
Faramir was made Lord Paramount of Athelion by Aragorn. In South Athelion, which was a portion of the Athelion south of Osgiliath, the road, known as Herod Road, is what Southrons took to get to Mordor. Norian, a strip of land along the northern edge of the White Mountains, bordered by a Maring stream in Rohan at the west, Anduin to the east, and mouths of Entwash to the north, and the White Mountains and Ramasakor to the south. The Lasarnak, a heavily populated farmland region southwest of Minas Tirith. The Labenin, a plain extending from the White Mountains down to the Bay of Belfalas that bordered Lasarnak. Belfalas was a fiefdom ruled by the princes of Dol Amroth. Doran Ernil, a narrow strip of land along the Bay of Belfalas ruled by the princes of Dol Amroth. Lamedin was a plain between the White Mountains and the river Ringlo. Anphalas, or Langstrand, was a narrow strip of land along the sea bordered by the Pinneth Gelen. Andrest was the westernmost province of Gondor, located on a narrow peninsula jutting out into the sea. And the Ringlo Vale was a mini province, the Morthond, or Blackroot Vale, where Dwilin comes from, and the long Cape of Andrest was not populated by the descendants of Numenorians, but evidence from the unfinished tales suggests that a small group of pugil men inhabited it. Additionally, Gondor held or had held the following regions at certain points throughout its history. Gondor or Harondor an arid region between the rivers of Poros and Harnan, which was contested between Gondor and Herod. Kalinardon, which was given to the Eothade and became Rohan. Its boundaries were the rivers of Anduin in the east, Island in the west, Limlight in the north, and the White Mountains, or Marrying Stream, in the south. The Enidwaith was a region between the rivers of Isen and Greyflood, it was never truly populated by Gondor, and was soon abandoned. Rovanian, which was never fully under the control of Gondor, but under Gondorian control at certain small times throughout the Third Age. And the Ethelduath, which were the Mountains of Shadow, which was the extreme eastern region of Gondor, where they kept watch over Mordor with many fortresses and cities such as Minas Ethel, Durthang, and the Tower of Kirith Ungol. Evil things re-entered Mordor after Gondor's watch upon the land slackened during the Second Age. Some of the major cities and fortresses or strongholds in Gondor included Ker Andros, which was an island fortress in the river of Anduin, roughly 40 miles north of Osgiliath. Gondor maintained a steady garrison here, and it was of paramount importance to Gondor during the Long War of, with Mordor in order to prevent the enemy from crossing the river and entering into our Anorian. And if anybody asks, where was Gondor when the Westfold fell? Well, they were fighting a large battle at Caer Andros and trying not to lose it. Next is Kalembal, which was a city in Lamedon. Dol Amroth, a city in Belfalas ruled by the Prince of Dol Amroth, 
which lies right on the coast. Ethring, a ford and large township built on either side of the river Ringlow. Hennethanoon, a hidden refuge of Gondorian rangers in the northern part of Athelion along Ethelduath. Linear, a port city in Lebanon. Minas Tirith, originally Minas Arnor, city of kings, the capital during the Third Age and largest city of Gondor, which everyone is already familiar with, as well as Osgiliath, which King Elisar had rebuilt after Sauron's downfall. Pelargir was a great southern harbor which was captured by the Corsairs during the War of the Ring. The people of Pelargir helped in the Battle of Pel. And Tarnos, a hill town in Belfalas. Additionally, Gondor had held or held the following locations for short periods of time throughout their history. The first is Angrenost or Isengard, one of the three fortresses of Gondor, and held within it one of the realms Palantiri. This location was at the northwestern corner of the southern kingdom of Gondor guarding the Fords of Isen from the enemy incursions into Kalanardan, and together with the fortress of Helm's Deep to its south protected the Gap of Rohan. After Kalanardan was given to the Aothade by Kyrian, steward of Gondor, and became Rohan's, Isengard remained part of Gondor, and the company of Aglarond removed to the northern fortress, although the rest of Gondor almost forgot about it. The small guard intermarried much with the Dunlingdings until the place became a Dunlingding fortress in all but name. Orthanc, however, remained closed as the steward of Gondor still held the keys. Isengard soon became all but deserted. Durthang, the largest fortress in Mordor, originally built to help guard the Efelduath. Eric, the town of Gondor that was abandoned by the end of the Third Age, which is just south of the Paths of the Dead. Minas Ethel, a city founded by Isildur that was originally the sister city of Minas Anor, Minas Tirith, located in an upland valley at the feet of the Mountains of Shadow. It was built by fortress, as a fortress city to defend Gondor from Sauron in Mordor. It was later conquered by the Nazgul and renamed to Minas Morgul. Thorbad, a city on both sides of the river Greyflood, at one time held by Gondor in the south and Arnor in the north, but abandoned as Gondor's borderless borders recessed through the Enidwaith to the Aizen and later ruined. The Tower of Curith Ungol, a tower fortress in western Mordor built by Gondor to guard the paths of Curith Ungol from any evil creature trying to enter or leave Mordor. The Great Plague wiped out the garrison located there, so it was easily captured when Sauron's minions re-entered Mordor. The Towers of the Teeth, the two towers situated on either side of the Black Gate. The two towers, called Karkost and Narkost, and I may be pronouncing those wrong, so I apologize, that stand on either side of the Kirith Gorgor, the Haunted Pass, which lies between the Ethelduath and the Ash Mountains. Originally built by men of Gondor following the downfall of Sauron at the end of the Second Age, the Towers of the Teeth were eventually taken over by the servants of the Dark Lord. They were then repaired and fortified 
and were incorporated into the defenses of the pass and the Black Gate itself. And the last one, Umbar, the far southern harbor which was lost and reclaimed several times, in the end being home of the Black Numenorians, the Corsairs of Umbar. During King Elisar's reign, many provinces and armies, including Herod and Rune, were retaken under Gondor's control. Now on to Arnor. Arnor, or the Northern Kingdom, was the kingdom of the Dúnedain in the land of Eriador and Middle-earth. It was the original seat of the High King of Arnor, who ruled over both Arnor and Gondor. Arnor included most of Eriador, extending from the Gulf of Loon, west of Linden, to the river Greyflood and its tributary, the river Loudwater, which was east of Rivendell. The Dúnedain of Arnor dwelt in many places in Eriador, but most of the population centered around the region Arthedain. The Dúnedain mainly inhabited the cities of Fornost and the capital city of Numenas, as well as along the Baranduin and the Gulf of Loon. By the later Third Age, the settlements of the Dúnedain of Cardalon and Rudar had decayed and became become ruins and barrows. Before the foundation of Arnor, Eriador was home to middlemen of Edain's stock, as a result of the slow emigration that started under the Numenorean kings Harmenaldor and Tar Aldarian, a sizable population form. These early colonists soon interbred with the indigenous population of Eriador. The faithful favored Eriador over the more southern regions like Gondor, because the elves of Linden, under their high king Gilgalad, lived very near across the river Loon. Conversely, the king's men settled more to the south in later days, thus the area was populated by people who were mainly still faithful and elf friends, where much of the knowledge of the elder days was preserved. During the downfall of Numenor, Elendil and his people sailed through the Gulf of Loon and up the Loon River, and befriended the high king of Noldor, Gilgalad. Both Elendil and his sons were welcomed by men who were in whole or part of Numenorean blood. These men of Eridor accepted the new kingdom of Elendil and helped the people maintain the many places that the northern Dúnedain built. The men of Bree also became subjects of Arnor. Gilgalad and his people aided the fledgling realm. He even built the Emin Barade for Elendil. Elendil found, founded Arnor at the end of the Second Age. 3320, while his sons founded the southern realm of Gondor. Both kingdoms of the Numenorians were known as the realms in exile, and their history was intertwined. Despite its precedence over seat of the High King, Arnor was never as powerful or populated as Gondor. Elendil established the city of Numenas as its capital. Besides the chief cities like Numenas and Fornos, the men of Arnor concentrated around the courses of the Loon and the Baranduin, the hills of Rudar, and built towers on Amensul. The Palantiri, or Searing Stones, were spherical stones that could communicate with each other and give visual impressions to a skilled remote user. 
Elendil and his two sons originally divided these stones between themselves. They were usually heavy, heavily guarded and under the control of the kings. There were seven of these stones in total. The northern kingdom of Arnor possessed three, and the southern kingdom of Gondor held the other four. And there is more information on these on our Palantiri episode, but for the three in Arnor, the first was the Alastarian stone, which was kept in the tower of Alastarian. This was used to communicate with the master stone in Tol Arisea, the lonely isle of the elves, along with the straight road. It could not contact the other Middle Earth stones. Then we, there was the Amun Sul stone, kept in the watchtower of Amun Sul, or Weathertop. The Amun Sul stone was a large stone, and the north. Northern kings often used it to contact it, to contact its corresponding large stone in Gondor at the Great Dome of Osgiliath. And lastly, the Enuminas stone, kept in Arnor's capital city of Enuminas. Through one of the lesser stones, it was the stone most often used by the kings of Arnor. In 3430 of the Second Age, Arnor joined forces with Gilgalad in Great Alliance opposing Sauron, the last alliance of elves and men. When Elendil led his people against Sauron, the Dúnedain and other men of Eriador marched together to, to the south. In conjunction with the southern forces from Gondor, they confronted Sauron's armies in the War of the Last Alliance. This great war lasted several years that reached Daggerlad and Mordor itself far in the south, culminating to the Siege of Varadur. Both Elendil and his sons Anarion were slain in this conflict, but Isildur cut the ring from Sauron's finger and prevailed. Isildur, who was also king of Gondor, was the elder son of Elendil and would inherit the high kingship and throne of Arnor, but he never reached his, his new realm as he was killed in TA2 in the disaster of the Gladden Fields, as were his three eldest sons, and the one ring was also lost. Isildur's fourth and youngest son, Velandil, who had remained at Rivendell due to his youth, became his heir in TA-10, but the men of Arnor suffered heavy casualties in the war and subsequent disaster. There now remained too few people in the places that Elendil had built became particularly depopulated. Arnor never fully recovered from the devastating losses. Because neither Vlandil nor his subsequent heirs claimed the throne of Gondor, at least until Arvidui's attempt, the realms were split. But while Arnor's ruler kept the title High King in practice, they were king of, Gond of Arnor only and had no power over the South Kingdom. Anarion and his heirs made no claim over the Northern Kingdom and styled themselves as simply Kings of Gondor. Arnor's capital was a Numenos on Lake Evendim, but in TA 861, Fornos Arain had taken its place. No longer a site of such importance, Numenos became depopulated and was slowly abandoned. After the death of its tenth king, Arondor, in TA 861, Arnor was shaken by civil war between his three sons. The eldest, Amleth, claimed kingship over all Arnor, but was reduced to only ruling the region of Arthedain as his kingdom. 
while his other sons founded the breakaway kingdoms of Cardalon and Rudar. The three petty kingdoms often strifed, usually over control of the Weather Hills and the Palantir of Amonsul. Seeing the disunion in Arnor during the reign of Malvagil, TA-1300, the Witch King of Angmar arose in the north, later identified as in fact the Lord Sauron's Ringwraiths. This new threat began attacking Rudar and Cardalon. Eventually, the line of Isildur failed in the other kingdoms, but Arthedane and the, du and the Dunedain were few in Rudar, where a lord of the hillmen secretly supporting Am Angmar seized power. Arnor was refounded by the seventh king of Arthedain, Argileb I, and Cardalon placed itself under its suzerainty, but Rudar resisted. Arthedain thus reasserted control over Cardalon, but in response fortified a line along the Weather Hills. Rudar and Ingmar attacked and killed the king in TA 1356. His son Arvaleg I, however, counterattacked in conjunction with Cardalon and Linden and drove the enemy back. Arvaleg continued to hold the frontier along, with, along the hills for the following years until TA 1409, when Angmar crossed the Horwell and successfully captured Weathertop. Arvaleg fell in battle, as did the last prince of Cardalon, later interred as the Barrow Downs. Amonsul fell and its palantir was taken to Fornost. With Amonsul lost, Angmar had free reign over the, all the lands of Cardalon, which was ravaged and the population was forced to hold out in the Barrow Downs, or took refuge in the Old Forest. Rudar was occupied by evil men subject to Angmar, and the remaining Dunedain were slain or fled west. The Shire, once the hunting grounds of the King of Arnor, was a fertile and well-tilled part of Arnor, deserted during the, the waning days of Arthedane. The hobbits, who had lived in Dunland and parts of depopulated Cardalon and Rudar, got official permission from King Argaleb II to settle the lands. This was finally done in TA 1601 by Bree Hobbits, led by brothers Marcho and Blanco. Almost all the Hobbits of Middle-earth could be found there by 30 years later. The Shire Hobbits considered themselves as subjects of the King of Arthedain, at least nominally considering the isolation of their country. Nevertheless, they sent some support troops to the Great Battle of Arnor, fought against Angmar. The men of Arnor did not have the strength to drive away the forces of Angmar, so the Elves of Linden, forces of Rivendell, and the Galadrim would defeat the armies of Angmar much later. Another threat appeared to the Northern Kingdoms, which was the Great Plague that came from the east. Just like Gondor, the men of Arnor were so much affected that the joint garrison at Tharbad that Arnor held with Gondor ceased to exist, and the last of the Dunedain of Cardalon died in the Barrow Downs. The Witch King, exploiting the tragedy, sent evil spirits, the Barrowites, to infest the area. The Shire folk were damaged by it, but not heavily. The plague lost its strength, however, at this point, so that most of Arthedain was unaffected. The two realms in exile eventually suspected that these disasters might be coordinated by a single power and resumed communications. As a result, Prince Arvadui, heir to the scepter, 
wedded Furiel, the daughter of Andoher, king of Gondor, in TA-1940. That happened before Andoher was slain in battle, and hoping to save his kingdom, Arvadui staked his claim to Gondor by right of his descent from Elendil, and by that of his wife. The Council of Gondor refused a reunification, and the crowned king Aranil II, who maintained good relations with Arnor, promising aid against Angmar. But Arnor's strength was fast dwindling. In TA 1973, Arvadui, who was now king, sent a message to Gondor that Angmar was preparing its final assault, and Arnil mustered a great armament bound for Linden. But it would arrive too late. In TA 1974, the final chapter in Arthedain's history began. The Witch King attacked during the harsh winter weather. The capital of Fornost fell, and the remaining Honorian forces were driven over the Loon River into Linden. Arvidui fled Forashel, while his son Aranarth informed Círdan at the Grey Havens about the disaster. Círdan's sailors were eventually unable to rescue Arvidui, and Malbeth, the seer's prophecy at his birth that he would be the last king of Arthedane was fulfilled. The Gondorian naval forces under Aranor, captain of Gondor, eventually landed in the Grey Havens, from which debarked the most powerful army seen in the north of Middle-earth in centuries. The remnants of Arnor would later join the great force led by Círdan and Aranor and the greatest joint elf-man army since the War of the Last Alliance. This great host of the west marched northward toward the Arnorian capital Fornost, where the Witch King had occupied. He confidently marched his forces out to meet them in the open. The host attacked him from the hills of Evendim, and a large battle broke out. The cavalry under Arnor pursued what remained of the Angmar forces, and they were joined by an elven force under Glorfindel from Rivendell. Angmar fell, but the Witch King fled. Thus both Arthedane and Angmar were destroyed. The Dúnedain of Arnor created new homes in the angle south of Rivendell, but Aranarth perceived that his people had become too few after the continuing wars to re-establish the realm. Some men survived in Bree and other villages, while the hobbits survived in the Shire and Bree. In the Shire, they chose a thane from among themselves to replace the fallen king in TA 1979. The Shire remained a minor but independent political unit. Aranarth, instead of calling himself a king or prince, he assumed the title chieftain, and he took his dwindling people, now secretive wanderers who traveled from place to place in Eriador. His son Arahil grew up safely in Rivendell under the fosterhood of Elrond, a tradition that was followed through the rest of the Third Age. Also brought to Elrond were the heirlooms of the House of Isildur the Scepter of Numenos, the Ring of Barahir, the Shards of Narsil, and the Star of Elendil. Thus through them, the royal house of Isildur was maintained successfully from father to son for a millennium. There were 16 chieftains in direct descent, under many perils in Eriador, and many of the chieftains died premature deaths. One of these was Arathorn II, who was slain by orcs raiding the area. So the Dúnedain survived in the shadows, waiting for a better day when the kingdom would be reborn, 
that would be in the time of Aragorn on May 1st, TA3019. The Kingdom of Arnor had been fallen for a thousand years by the time the War of the Ring broke out, but northern forces did participate in the war. Aragorn participated, the heir of Isildur, there were several hundred of them operating during the conflict. The company of this group accompanied Aragorn through the paths of the dead during the attack on Umbar which captured the Corsair fleet. They participated in the last battle, fighting under his banner at the Battle of the Morannon, where Sauron was finally thrown down. There was conflict in other areas of the north. There were three different invasions of Lothlorien, which were thrown back by the elven army under Celeborn and Thranduil. Finally, Celeborn led a, an attack resulting in the capture of Dol Guldur and put an end to Sauron's northern threat. There was also a battle fought in the Shire between Saruman's ruffians and hobbit militia forces. This was the last battle fought in the War of the Ring and resulted in the death of Saruman and the death or capture of his followers. This became known as the Battle of Bywater and represents the hobbit contribution to the war. Faramir, son of Denethor II, the last ruling steward, presented his rod of office to the new king and received it back from him. Aragorn II then was crowned by Gandalf as King Elisar, refounded the Kingdom of Arnor as part of the reunited kingdom, and made Anumanas its new capital city once again. He was wed to the elven prince Arwen, who became Queen Evenstar of Arnor and Gondor. After the fall of Sauron, Arnor was safe again for resettlement of men, and although it remained less populated than Gondor to the south, in time, Arnor became a more densely populated region again, even if it had dwindled in size due to the independence of the Shire. The area encompassed by the reunited kingdom now encompassed the territory of the two kingdoms at their greatest extent. In the north, this included the land between the River Loon and the Misty Mountains and in the south included the lands between Dunlin in the west to the Far Harad southwards to Rune in the east. The reborn kingdom continued into the Fourth Age, with Eldarion eventually succeeding his father to the throne of this now empire-sized state. Many people in Arnor were of Numenorean stock. However, aside from the exiles, most had long since mingled with non-Numenorean peoples. The predominant language spoken by them was Westron. At least some of the population, especially the upper citizens, were fluent in Sindarin, while Quenya was studied as a language of lore. Many early place names and the names of the royal house were Quenya, but by the 8th century of the Third Age, Quenya had given way to Sindarin. And there you have it, the history of Arnor and Gondor. We do have a question this week from Fred Davis. He says, I recently got a copy of The Complete History of Middle-Earth, three-volume set. Apparently, there are no audiobooks of the set. Unfortunately, no. I'm interested in being able to pr properly pronounce Tolkien, languages, name of people, places, etc., the closest resources that are audiobooks, the Silmarillion, and Unfinished Tales. Can you recommend a more audio or slash visual resources that can help with the languages? Thanks. 
Well, the first option you already kind of figured out, and that was listening to the other audiobooks. We have like the the main trilogy of the Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, and audiobooks where there's little tiny bits of history mixed in here and there, and or a good amount in some areas, especially in the appendices, other things that were added that didn't make it in the movies. But then you also have the Children of Huron, Baron and Luthien, and the Fall of Gondolin now, all in audiobook as well, and as you said, the Silmarillion, and all those go way back too. So listening to those can definitely help with uh, the names and pronunciations of different things. Outside of that, your best bet is to buy it's it's a buy a book called The Languages of Tolkien's Middle Earth. It's red with black and green lines towards the top, and it's basically is described as a complete guide to all 14 languages Tolkien invented, and that includes you know grammar and pronunciation uh, specifically. And there's also all different um, like Tolkien or Elvish dictionaries and different things like that that will have you know different things to help pronounce different ways. Unfortunately, I don't have I'm not recording this with access to my other books. But there are other recommendations I, that I know are, that I know exist. I just can't think of the titles. Um, that will give you a lot of that info as well. I want to say it's like a Middle Earth Atlas or something. And I don't think that's right. I don't know. But yeah, basically, just books are your next best bet. And that book in particular, I know a few people that own it, um, and they all love it. So that will probably be the most helpful uh, for that. If you do want more content, check out our website, MinasTirithArchives.com. We have a Facebook page and Facebook group, History of Middle Earth Podcast. We are on Instagram at History of Middle Earth Pod. And check the episode description for a link to our Discord. That's it for this week's episode. If you like it, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions, send them in. To, through either our website, Facebook page, or through our email, ministeriesarchives at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you back next time. Until then, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle Earth podcast. <laughs> <laughs>